Hello, and uh, welcome to Lightbulb Talks. I'm Brady Dale, at Brady Dale on Twitter. Uh, this is a part of the SpaceCast podcast network. And uh, we're going to have a conversation tonight with a few interesting folks um, who will talk about uh, DeFi beyond Ethereum. But, you know, I, for those who've listened to this before, I like to start off with a little bit of just a cogitation with uh, folks who are here listening. And uh, the thing I want to start with this time is just about the whole, um, I like to talk about feelings in DeFi. I know that's weird, but I just feel like this space is so uh, governed by rationality. You know, these, these robots in the blockchain that do things for us. But the truth is we're, you know, we're aping in, we're degenerate, we're excited about uh, yield. You know, there's so many feelings that go into it. I think it's just worth unpacking that stuff. And it's a thing I just think about all the time. And the, and normally these things that I do um, at the start have nothing to do with the folks who are coming on. They're just sort of like whatever was on my mind that week. But what's on my mind this week is, I think, kind of relevant to tonight's conversation because uh, what's on my mind this week is this idea of wayfinding and uh, knowing what's out there. You know, there's this idea of the dark forest in DeFi, in Ethereum, uh, that there's these things going on that we don't quite understand. And that's totally true. And as a reporter, you know, as I'm trying to like find the story, I have this constant sense that people have um, fired up protocols and projects and um, new cool initiatives that I would like to write about, or there's horrible disasters and scams going on that I'd like to expose. But it's so this is just a whole new different way of thinking about the world. And so one feels lost. Um, you know, one constantly feels like they can't, um, you know, that there's this distinction of the map and the territory. But like, not only do you not know the territory, you often feel like you're missing out on maps that everybody else has. And, uh, and that's exciting, especially for people of an entrepreneurial mindset, because if you're one of the folks who helps to solve that problem, that can be, you know, really good for you and good for the broader community. I think a great example of that is it turned out that DeFi Pulse in its unique way of this idea of um, total value locked was a really useful form of wayfinding for people in this space. You know, it doesn't look like a map, but I think it is. And I use it as a map. So I think it's relevant, you know, like I said, I don't normally do these uh, as related to the conversation that's coming up, but this is relevant tonight because we're going to talk more about uh, Solana, which is another blockchain that, you know, I've been paying attention to. I've talked to the guys who built it. Um, I've written a few things about it, um, but I don't, you know, do a ton with it. And every time I have to think about covering something that's not on Ethereum, a part of my reluctance is just like, I have no idea how to even figure out the maps anywhere else. You know, like, what do I know what's big and what's small? What do I know? How do I know what's relevant and what's not? Because, I mean, that's barely doable on Ethereum right now. Um, and it's just totally baffling everywhere else. But anyway, um, you know, so this feeling of being lost is, you know, both frustrating and also, I think, for a certain kind of person and the people who are here now, exciting, too. And so it's just worth being cognizant of that feeling and, and, and sort of expecting um, that we're going to feel less lost over time. And that will be uh, cool. But we're also <laughs> there'll be fewer. It'll be harder to um, to be the guy who found the cool opportunity more when everybody else has better maps. So you know it's a trade off. Anyway, um, so that's uh, that's my thoughts to open with. Let me invite on our guests here. Give me one second to do this, and we will bring them in. Yeah. Um, so I'm here with um, of Chris McCann of Race Capital, uh, who um, I didn't know this until tonight, and I was sort of like prepping for him beforehand. Among the things he's invested in is um, the very interesting FTX. So I'll 
definitely want to talk about that some more. Uh, then we have uh, Bartosz Lipinski, and I'm sorry if I've said either of those names wrong, um, but he's a developer at Solana, which is um, uh, a blockchain, which I expect people who are, who are coming on have heard of, and maybe that's why they're here. But um, it's something that you know people are getting more and more interested in very rapidly. I'd say that's definitely like eyes are moving to Solana in a, in a rapid way in this space. So I'm interested in hearing uh, some more about that. And then uh, last, but definitely not least is um, I'll probably screw this name up too. Sorry. Dylan McElhinnow, who is of Saber, which is a DeFi app that is running on Solana now. So that's also cool to have someone who's actually in the application layer here. So um, welcome to all of you gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having all of us. Um, I want to start. I want to start with Chris. Actually, just as a small funny aside, um, Chris, you and I have known each other for a while, kind of. I mean, like we didn't know each other super well, but um, but it was funny when I sort of saw you in the blockchain space when I started reporting here because we had met. Um, you had been involved in some small startups, you know, God, like a decade ago now, and I had kind of, in a tiny level, been involved with one of them that you started off. You helped out with called Beanstalks um, back in Philadelphia. Maybe you could do the first super fast version of uh, how you got from, you know, I met you in this incubator that I was doing some very silly writing for once upon a time that's all kind of forgotten on the web now um, to uh, to being, you know, an investor in the blockchain space. Yeah, that, that's a um, that's a very long <laughs> time ago. It's a deep um, callback. Yeah, I know. I think at the time I was, a, I think I was a sophomore in college. I don't know if you actually knew that. Oh no, yeah, it seemed, it's, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, totally. I, yeah, um, I, I guess yeah. Fast forwarding a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll try to keep this one a little bit more concise. But um, uh, when I graduated in two thousand nine, I threw all my stuff in my car. I drove up to um, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area. Um, initially, I had no plan, no idea. Um, uh, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. And the first place I had lunch with is at this place called uh, University Cafe in Polta. And there was two guys next to me talking about Facebook. One of them was Mark Zuckerberg, and the other was Michael Arrington. Wow. <laughs> and I thought to myself, hey, I really want to be here in Palo Alto. <laughs> and so uh, I decided to get an apartment there. And uh, fast forward, that, that led me into starting one of my uh, first companies. It was called Startup Digest. It was a uh, one of the earliest tech newsletters in the space ended up growing it from zero to a million subscribers and it ended up being acquired by Techstar, is still in operation today. It's funny to see tech newsletters get such a resurgence with things like Substack and sort of all the other publishing tools because back then there was literally nobody doing um, this newsletter stuff. And you know, tech startups as a whole is still like a very kind of small niche thing. So um, I guess suffice it to say, like I've kind of been in and around this space a lot, especially with a lot of the people on the developer side kind of doing new, um, a lot of these new crazy experimental stuff. And, and there's a much longer story of how I got involved in the crypto space, but I, I guess that's contextually about how, how I got here to the Bay Area. No, that's that's great. I will say, I mean, as I remember you, Chris, and this is like super fuzzy at this point, but I mean, it feels like you were one of those uh those, you know, young people, I don't want to say kids or whatever, uh, came into college and, you know, at least as I remember you in the Beanstalk days, I mean, you had a pretty clear idea that you wanted to be involved in this innovation world, which I think is cool. I mean, I didn't, I don't think it super existed when I was there, but is that right? I mean, you kind of had this, cause you were helping out with these startups, you were involved in this incubator. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, yeah. At my, um, uh, this is a long time ago and I guess a little disconnected from the crypto stuff, but, um, yeah, back in college, I, I used to run um, we had this engineering competition and this business plan competition. Uh, I went to school at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, so it's a smaller 
technical school in the central coast of California. And uh, one of my um, schoolmates uh, took me up to Silicon Valley, like for an event. And I, I was just so blown away that I, I didn't even realize that you could create a, a startup and like that could actually be like a career that you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and like there were investors in the VC and all this stuff was super, super, super foreign to me at, at the time. Of course. Yeah. And so, um, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I got very quickly fascinated with that stuff and I, I didn't necessarily want to go down the normal path of go to a job fair and submit my resume. And I, I don't know, that just seemed like really shitty to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, I tried as hard as I can to not do that, which kind of led me down all this tech stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, just in one last quick thing is, you know, you and I had a little catch up uh, probably 18 months ago now, but I just went back and looked at the notes. I remembered at that time, I'm just curious, a part of your thesis in this crypto world then was a big um, emphasis on like Asia and the developing world. Is that kind of still a major focus for you or, or have you, you know, things change quickly? I don't know. Have you, have you, uh, reconceptualized that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I guess this is also kind of a broader concept, but post COVID, um, uh, specific geography tends to matter a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Um, like, like for the fundraise capital, we've looked at over 700 companies in the past 12 months and pre-COVID, almost all of them had a defined headquarter, a defined place, um, a, a defined sort of a vicinity. Almost all the companies we, we looked at were kind of primarily here in Silicon Valley. Post-COVID, this is 100% completely different. Almost every single company we talked to is remote first, no headquarter, teams split up all over the place. Um, and in the crypto space, some of this could actually be quite extreme. Like you could have people... Some in Asia, some in the States. I, I mean, Bartash could probably even can say for a Solana itself, like it's a not only a distributed protocol, like the whole company and team is distributed in and of itself. And so um, geography matters far less than mm-hmm. it used to, um, which is a uh, both, uh, it's not better or worse. I guess it has all different implications for both investors, founders, kind of builders in the space. Because uh, I, I guess like location is not necessarily taken for granted anymore. Yeah, cool. That's that is an interesting insight. Um, okay, so let's bring on the other two guys. Um, and really, guys, you can just leave the mute buttons off unless you start to feel like you're hearing background noise or something. I feel like it, it lets things be more to it's just the four of us. So I, I think it's fine. Um, but yeah, so what's the connection between, you know, Chris and you and Bartaz at Solana and Dylan at um, at Sabre, like, how do you all how do you all meet? How do you all interrelate? You know, uh, how do you all, I assume, work together on some level, even if it's pretty casually? Like, what's this? What's the story between all three of you? Um, yeah, m- maybe I'll, I'll give like the short version and then I really want both of them to speak. But um, um, Bartosh, I got to meet through all the um, Solana ecosystem stuff um, uh, sort of after uh, Greylock, where I used to be in before race, I was one of the earliest investors in um, Solana itself back nice. when uh, they were doing their seed round and it was just Anatolian, kind of a first version of the white paper. And mm-hmm. um, I- I've gotten to know many, many of the people in the team outside of Anatolian Raj himself and Bartosh is a super impressive individual and has a lot of very strong opinions about a lot of the things in the uh, in the DeFi space. Nice. Um, and then uh, Dylan is, is currently doing a company um, formerly known StableSwap, now called Saber, which is doing an automated market maker uh, DeFi application within the Solana sphere, which hopefully he can, he can kind of talk a little bit more about being on the founder side of building um, these applications. And then uh, we as Race Capital, we are investors in the company. Cool. Great. All right. So, um 
either Bartaz or Dylan, whichever one of you wants to hop in off of that, it would be great to hear from you. Sure, I can talk. Thanks, Chris. Um, so for me, I basically started at Solana like 10 months ago, and I came from traditional finance. So for past 10 years, I worked uh, in different hedge funds, uh, most recently Citadel, uh, building trading systems. Cool. And then how, like, how early in Solana were you? Sorry, kids. <laughs> it's okay. Do you want to go? Yeah, for sure. I can chat. Um, yeah, so I've been working in, uh, I guess, DeFi and crypto since 2017. Um, so kind of in 2018, I was working on a company called Abacus uh, with my current co-founder as well, Ian. Uh, and during that time, we were involved in a lot of the early DeFi stuff. Um, so organizing a lot of these early DeFi events. Um, and yeah, kind of like over the past few months, got involved with Solana. Uh, so Chris mentioned I'm working this project. Uh, called Saber, that was formerly called StableSwap. Uh, so StableSwap actually started as a project back end of last year uh, as part of like the first Solana hackathon, uh, just kind of as like a fun like sort of like weekend project for us to like learn more about the Solana ecosystem. Uh, since before then, we haven't been only working like Ethereum-based stuff. Um, and yeah, I kind of like you know when we decided to bring up uh, StableSwap again, uh, Chris was actually one of the first people that messaged us um, and provided a lot of like good feedback on the product um, and also just like helpful ways to connect with the Solana ecosystem. So, and what, uh, what did yeah. you do on Ethereum before? Yeah. So the project, uh, Abacus, uh, we were doing a lot of things actually. That uh, so the first familiar. thing was, uh, yeah. So the first thing we were doing was like a debt issuance platform. Okay. Uh, so kind of like similar to like Aave, uh, but uh-huh. kind of during that time, like we got like scared by, by legal, honestly, <laughs> and okay. ended up pivoting to like more like compliance stuff. Um, so we ended up doing like tokenized securities. Um, so this is interesting, you know, I didn't think of this parallel and whatever, this is my own like narcissistic take here, whatever. But, um, you know, a funny thing on like this particular group and kind of the lineup is just, you know, going into 2020, um, I had this thesis as a reporter that the 2020 story was going to be, um, this thing that I was calling the battle for the base layer. I didn't really think Ethereum was going to be toppled, but I thought that was going to be the year that some major base layers were going to flare up, you know, and that that would become like a big conversation. And, you know, I thought it probably all end up being a lot more, you know, collegial in the end. But, you know, that that story early on would be like, oh, you know, Ethereum killers or whatever. That was kind of what I went into 2020 thinking. And I was I, I was doing this newsletter, this sort of private newsletter around that at the time, kind of on the side. And um, and then that turned out to not be true for 2020. Um, I'm not saying it's not an accurate story. I'm not saying that isn't there, but it just, that wasn't the story for 2020. What was the story for 2020 um, was decentralized finance. And, you know, that sort of kicked off when, when compound released the comp token in June, and that just became very clear. And I was all in on decentralized finance and never really did the battle for the base layer newsletter anymore. But I still think it's all relevant to that larger story. And I'm curious from each of you, and let's just go back to Dylan again to start at this time, and then we can move back through all of you is it sounds like all of you have been around for a while. When did you realize that like, DeFi was going to be very important? Because I feel like in 2017, 2018, it was an interesting topic. MakerDAO was cool you know, compound was coming out. Yeah, seems like a good idea. But like, we generally speaking, people weren't like, Oh, man, you know, this is gonna blow up the world that that didn't really happen until 2020. So like, when did when did you guys sort of uh, get religion on DeFi? Let's start with Dylan. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 
Yeah, kind of back in 2018, actually. So that was, um, I think it was late 2018. Okay. I uh, was working with uh, Dharma and Set, actually. Okay. Um, I'm, like, we kind of had this idea to like, build a sort of like, coalition on like crypto finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's actually NJ who, uh, from Set, who coined the term DeFi. Um, and yeah, kind of from there, like, I think like once you actually started like calling it this like, term and like sort of creating this collective around it, like getting all these like crypto companies to sort of like buy into this. Um, yeah, it seemed kind of like more real. Uh, but I do agree with you that like 2020 was sort of when everything took off. Um, I think yeah, compound kind of started, uh, sort of yield farming in general, uh, just like brought a lot of like good, uh, interest in liquidity into the system. And are you in San Francisco, Dylan? If you don't mind, I don't want to spoil your OPSEC if that isn't a thing you say, if you don't mind answering that question, but are, are, are you there? Uh, I was in San Francisco. Then, the okay. early DeFi stuff. Okay, yeah. okay. So fact check something for me. I, I wrote a history of DeFi a little while back. And in I, Brendan, right, from Dharma, I feel like. Is that? Yep. Yeah, okay. Brendan yep. told me that like he felt like the notion of DeFi as a community sort of started at a party, I think, in like 2018, that I think maybe was related to that coalition that you're talking about. Like a few companies that were doing similar stuff all kind of got together and kind of realized that they were working on a similar concept. Is that sort of, is that what you're talking about? Did he tell me the correct story, you know, when I, when I, that I reported? Uh, yeah, I think the party was part of it. The one I remember was, uh, we all met up at, uh, I think it was like the Jewish contemporary museum at some like deli in, uh, in San Francisco. <laughs> wow. That's a great um, detail he left out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically like us, like three teams, um, kind of like, you know, we just start this like landing page. Uh, that was kind of the first thing we did. And then, also, like, you know, we want to get more people building in DeFi because right now most people are just talking about, like, crypto investing. Uh-huh. Uh, so we ended up, like, organizing this, like, DeFi Summit event in San Francisco um, where we just invited, like, a ton of, like, DeFi companies in to show give, like, workshops on, like, more, more focus on the building side rather than the, uh, the price side. All right. So you go, you go back to the beginning, it could be argued. So that's, that's braggable. Um, um, cool. Uh, Bartos, do you want to come on and talk about when you realized that uh, DeFi was going to be a big deal? Sure. Uh, I don't know if I ever realized that, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> so for me, the story was really simple. I left Citadel uh, and I was planning to go uh, work for jump trading uh, on one of the quantitative desks. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But uh, just I for folks who not- don't know who might be listening, jump trading is like a it's a big very influential algorithmic trader, uh, money market maker beyond crypto, just anywhere there's markets to make, they're, they're making those markets. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, so I was supposed to go there and uh, run one of the teams, um, but they had long non-compete from Citadel, so I couldn't work in finance for 12 months. Oh. Um, and I was basically, when I was starting baking bread, I was like reading what Sam was tweeting about Solana and connected with Anatoly and started building on Swala. Okay. And like, what's the timeline there, roughly? So I started building AMM on Solana in September, like last year. Okay. Basically, okay. immediately after CERN uh, came out, we started building more DeFi protocols on Solana. And just to make sure I sort of have the basics here, right? I mean, a part of why, I mean, everyone, everyone says about Solana is it's, you know, very fast. That's like the big thing with them. And, and but a sort of deeper in the argument is the guys who made Solana are a lot of the guys who built the mobile internet that now works quite well and like, and mobile telecommunications uh, that now works quite well. And they and sort of the argument is they figured out that very complex problem. They can probably figure out this complex problem too. That's sort of roughly the sort of Solana story. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I, I can give a little bit more, um, context on this one so in um 
So I, I originally um, uh, met Anatoly, one of the um, uh, founders of, of Salon itself. I actually met him a while back. Um, before race, I used to work at a bigger fund called Greylock Partners, and mm-hmm. we used to run a whole bunch of different um, communities and networks, and one of them was an infrastructure engineering community. And so before um, Solana, uh, Anatoly was one of the infrastructure engineers at Dropbox working on a lot of their core sync oh, great. Um, yeah. sort of underlying infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then before that, he was a, a core developer at Qualcomm right. um, who worked on a lot of their low-level CDMA chip stuff. Basically, as you mentioned, powering kind of all the um, uh, sort of mobile phones and everything we kind of take for granted now. Right. So uh, Anatoly, to me, always, uh, he was a super impressive individual very technically astute. And so I always told him, like, I don't care whatever you do, please tell me whatever you do. <laughs> and, and, and I'm happy to help you. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is like around the 2017 timeframe when a lot of the um, sort of public blockchains, including Ethereum, were, were kind of getting, getting going. And it was clear there was going to be a sort of throughput issue. And, and so um, Anatoly's idea around this was uh, uh, how can we make the base layer itself scale to all these transactions? And by the way, he he used to work on a lot of this low-level stuff, so had a lot of ideas, um, including this one low-level protocol from Google called TrueTime. So borrowing a lot of concepts from a bunch of these different places that he's worked with before to eventually construct what would become sort of this proof-of-history uh, concept and kind of the underlying underpinnings of Solana itself. Uh, I remember back then, like he, uh, the reason why I got roped in is he sent me one of the earliest, earliest versions of the white paper. It wasn't like even V1.0, it's like V000.1 that I, I helped give him a lot of feedback on. But but even then, I, I remember his his pitch or like the ultimate application for this is, uh, and he, he, I remember he always used to talk about this, is could you run the scale of a NASDAQ or a New York Stock Exchange, all the trades, all the everything, all the data could you parse all of this on a layer one native on chain how much throughput and what were the considerations you have to do to be able to do a whole centralized order book on chain and it's taken a, it's taken a while for them to realize this dream and get to the place get to this place um, but they finally hit this level of uh, developer adoption to, to start to actually kind of uh, have this dream kind of become a reality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to hold off before raising this question because I, I don't want to make this a you know an ETH v Solana uh, conversations. There's a lot of interesting things to talk about, and I want to I want to learn more about how to you know find my way in Solana because I do want to you know tell that story more. But but since you bring it up, I feel like the Solana argument is very much like a technology argument, right? Like it's like we've got this great technology. And like, I can't help but think like when I hear that argument in blockchain, I think of there, there's this book Jane Jacobs has called The Economy of Cities. And, and in it, she talks about kind of like a lot of things about how cities work. But one of the points that she makes that's really interesting is in the early days of America, you know, Jersey City sat across the way from New York City and New York City was further along. But Jersey City, she lists out all these different things, these merits it had that were better than New York. I can't remember what they all were, but it was like more accessible for shipping and had better access to the river. I don't know. It was a bunch of things. It, well, it wasn't, you know, it, it was it was connected to the mainland. You know, Manhattan wasn't all this stuff. And so there was a lot of people who believe that, like, obviously, Jersey City has better features. But the truth was Manhattan and what would become New York City had just like this stronger community and it had this stronger like 
you know, kind of built in culture that ultimately turned out to be more powerful. And I feel like that is sort of the argument between these up and comers that like I'm, I said before, I think Solana is viewed as one of the major up and comers um, and Ethereum, which has been around, you know, for six years now and has this really devoted community. So like, what's your, what's any of you's take on that? Like the fact that, you know, Solana may work better. It may have better technology. It may, you know, move vastly faster, but just like, you know, that the boots are on the ground on Ethereum. What's, what's your sort of take there? Any of you? So maybe I will go. Um, so for me, uh, actually, the type of developers that Solana attracts are often very different developers that like Ethereum attracts. Oh, interesting. Uh, and the way we structure, for example, like tooling that requires you to to build the uh, protocols, like using Rust, and how the applications are actually built, uh, attract a lot of people from traditional finance, mm-hmm. uh, like Jump. Uh, and a few other like uh, big market makers in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm in Chicago myself, um, and there's just basically a lot of people coming uh, from finance, uh, and they never looked at Ethereum as something that uh, they would actually build them. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think it's we like, and this may be different to your argument from New Jersey versus New York, where people thought maybe people from New York would move to New Jersey, and they're saying like we are not even trying to move people. Uh, across chain, just like really build like brand new community oh, right. uh, around people that understand like deeply finance, uh, like no C plus plus, and switching to Rust and building around it is just natural to them, and they wouldn't use, for example, Solidity ever. So Ethereum could be New York City, uh, but Solana is going to end up being San Francisco, or you know, pick whatever other also great city. Yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying. Good point. Anyone else? Yeah, I, I do see that as like the entry point for for Solana, like the the interest from like more of these traditional finance players. Um, I do think though that like because of the technology that Solana is based off of, like you can just build like so much uh, better apps. Uh, which is kind of thing that drew me like as a product designer uh, into the Solana ecosystem. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think that though you'll you'll also start seeing more of these kind of mainstream applications built on Solana um, that might not be possible right now on on Ethereum. And um, Chris, I'm curious about your take here, too. And I would be interested in you talking about being involved with FTX, too, because I feel like FTX is just sort of proven to be like the wonderkind company of the last like 18 months. And they are all in on Solana. So, um, you know, what's your perspective on on both of those? I mean, A, what did you see in FTX? And then and then B, you know, talk more about that connection and why it might be important going forward. Yeah, um, yeah, so uh, I guess similar to the story of uh, Anatoly, although um, very differently with um, Sam, like we got to know Sam through his work at Alameda Research Group, one of the bigger um, trading funds in the in the space. And uh, he, he has a much longer story about uh, they were one of the largest. Actually, I think he was the most profitable trader on uh, uh, on BitMEX. Um, but BitMEX frustrated him to all end, <laughs> and they were hit with this like big socialized loss, and um, it, it was just um, there was a lot of things he was frustrated about, and so he wanted to create a, a, an exchange by traders for traders that 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 was much more geared towards the mentality of people within his ecosystem. V- very similar to Anatoly, uh, Sam is a very impressive individual. Uh, Scary, and, and, yeah, like a wizard. It's weird. Yeah, I agree. But and, anyway, yeah. And, and one of the things we, we, we love to find at Race Capital, though it's very hard, is these 
the, these founders that with Sam, it was very clear from day one. He loves trading. He talked about trading. He tweeted about trading. He live streamed himself trading. People followed him. Like literally, I, I think even if like he didn't make like a dollar doing any of this, like he would still be trading. Right. <laughs> like he, he just loves it so much. And, and, and so when you're starting a new exchange, one of the hardest um, problems to overcome is the chicken and egg problem of how do you bootstrap early liquidity onto an exchange and get traders to actually trade on here? Because at the end of the day, volume is the only thing that matters in the long term. Right. With Sam, we actually really like a lot of those concerns for us were um, uh, like more than addressed just literally through his own personal experience. And, and so we, we took a big bet on, again, it was mostly him because at the time the uh, FTX was not officially launched. There was no trading volume. It was still in development. Um, so it, it was very much a bet on um, Sam and his whole team around him. And uh, kudos to him. Like he has done a phenomenal job of building this, not just into a you know worldwide trading institution, but like he's literally built this is like a whole uh, whole sort of uh, institution around the globe. Now they're doing major sponsorship deals. Like, like he has a very, very big and uh, aggressive vision for what he wants to accomplish. He does. And, yeah. And, and so, and, and so it's, it's a, the, this uh, combination of founding, finding these founders who are that ambitious, have found something they love, have such a strong advantage in whatever field that they're in like these people tend to just be very 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 hard to find and, and so we always try to back um anybody we find that kind of shares those characteristics yeah um, sam is I, weird because he wants to make an astounding amount of money and then give it away which is like i feel like <laughs> fairly unique in the space but we don't need to dwell on that but it is it, you know like that is his plan right which is um which is pretty wild so okay so yeah, now now bridges to solana because he's like you know, i've talked to him about this before and he's just like look it's just it fires a lot faster and that's going to matter eventually so it's the right move um how yeah. important is there being bought in here um, it, it, it's extremely important. I, I remember when Anatoly was first starting um, Solana, when, when they had kind of a, not even the first testnet version, my biggest thing that I always used to tell him and the whole team is you could build the you know most technologically fastest, highest blockchain in the world that handles all these transactions. If nobody uses any of this stuff, it literally doesn't matter. Like, you need to find an application that's going to suck up and use all these transactions for something that's actually net valuable. Who are you going to find? In the beginning, to be, to, to, to be um, like fair, I guess, is that they actually kind of had a harder time in the beginning to find those 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 applications. There were a few, like I won't say the names, but there was like a few of these projects that they were trying to convince them to kind of move over to Solana, and it was it was very kind of hard going in the beginning to get this. And so when the, the the FTX team when they went to go out and build Serum, they did a huge exhaustive exercise to decide should they build this themselves similar to like a Binance chain or should they use another layer one blockchain that already exists and is already out there. And after this huge exhaustive search, they decided to pick Solana and them building on top of it gives it two things. One, it drives all the volume, liquidity and usage for it. And two, it gives them the biggest reference application they could ever ask for with the branding and everything that FTX brings behind it. And so I think that made the decision for other people to start experimenting and building stuff, trying so much easier. And that without that, they would have had a much, much tougher time getting started. And is there a way in which 
people who are doing things because FTX is its own thing. It's an exchange and then serum is its own thing, but are they integrated in some way that, I mean, I don't trade on any of these things, so I don't really know, but are they, are, is there a way in which FTX itself is actually re- relying on serum on some level that may not be obvious to just the average user? Is that happening? Yeah, maybe three small things and uh, Bartosz Dylan, feel free to chime in afterwards. So, um, one, FTX nat- uh, integrated the native SPL token format. It- it's so much like the ERC-20 format, just okay. the Solana native one. Uh-huh. And in-, in doing so, you basically get all the advantage of Solana and high throughput and cheap fees with all your uh, sort of money moving around. So if you want to go from uh, USDC from your FTX account to your Phantom or Soleil wallet and back, you can literally do it almost practically instantly, basically for free. Um, uh, so, so a lot of people use it as basically the onboarding and inboarding into a lot of these uh, sort of other uh, applications that they're using. Um, the, the, the second one which they launched recently is they did this thing called FTX Pay. So they basically use all the front-end stuff of FTX itself to solve the fiat onboarding and offboarding problem. So if you're a merchant or doing peer-to-peer payments or anything like that, FTX Pay is integrated in a bunch of these wallets. So you can go directly from a ACH or credit card or debit card into a stablecoin and out directly from the wallet itself. You don't necessarily need to go this whole complicated route of setting up an exchange account, doing kind of this whole internal thing. You could actually just do it internal to the wallet itself. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they have a, FTX is definitely using Serum to all its advantages in trying to hook in where it naturally makes sense. All of these parts where you would either need to exchange token, exchange funds, go inside, go outside, do payments and all that, and kind of service around this whole whole kind of ecosystem. Yeah, Bartaz or Dylan, if either of you want to sort of talk more about how the two interrelate, that'd be great. If not, that's cool too. No, sure, I, I can talk about that. So to me, it's a just interest, interesting play to, to make sure that you cover kind of both worlds. If you think from the perspective of the market maker, it doesn't really matter where you are making those markets mm-hmm. as long as you are like making fees uh, and like manage to create arbitrage. And uh, I think the the idea of having Serum almost like a uh, something efficient that's friendly to market makers is effectively what was driving that initiative. Uh, because AMMs uh, with like constant product, uh, they are not necessarily super friendly to market makers. They require you to put a lot of capital. Uh, then the capital becomes fragmented and you cannot use like a lot of like leverage effectively to deploy it across like multiple markets where Serum actually allows you to have those market makers. And this is why people like Alameda and Jump are involved in this as well, because it allows them to effectively leverage the infrastructure that they have uh, on Solana as well. Um, and to me, it's also this like another argument where you can view suddenly exchanges as moving away potentially from the like just execution business into being a bridge across multiple chains and the custodian uh, and pull the liquidity on the DeFi protocols. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Great. Um, I want to do a quick pause here for the folks who are listening. I always like to try to like uh, engage folks a little bit on this level. If you guys are new to Twitter spaces, if you look at the bottom, there's this little heart thing. And in it, there's a few emoji, so you can do whatever. So um, just um, do like the fist if you're on here and you have actually like done anything on Solana, even just like, 
you know, bought a couple, you just got over there and you've bought a couple of Solana. Um, give us a fist and then give us the like peace sign. If you've actually like made some trades of some kind, you know, or played around with something else, get some, all right, cool, cool, cool. Great. Seeing some activity here. Got some Solana fans in the room. Nice. Nice. Good to see that. Um, okay, cool. So, um, great. Well, let's, let's switch, let's shift over to some things that are happening there. Um, I want to hear about some of the cool applications that have been built on it. And I feel like the natural place to start would be with Dylan, who's built Sabre, which is an automated market maker. So if anyone doesn't know, potentially an automated market maker is this interesting new thing that DeFi has created where it's an exchange. But the way it works is it doesn't find you someone to trade with. It just always has a price um, for any asset that it lists, Um, you know, early on. Well, anyway, I'm going to go into that it always has a price for any asset that it lists and you're just trading with this robot on the internet, which was, a uh, it solved the problem for a while that, you know, there wasn't a good way to make sort of traditional central limit order book exchanges on, on, uh, on blockchains for a variety of reasons. Uh, but AMMs kind of solved that and they've worked quite nicely. This is all kind of continues to evolve very rapidly. Um, but Sabre is one of those. Uh, so if you want to tell us a little bit about the idea there, Dylan, and then maybe we can talk about some other cool things that have popped up on Solana as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's a good introduction. So yeah, Sabre is a decentralized exchange on, on Solana. Um, I think yeah, Solana is unique because of this like very big presence of serum, uh, which is like more of an order book type exchange. Uh, but I do think that there's still like value in AMMs, uh, specifically the fact that like you get these LP tokens. Um, so if you're a liquidity provider, you actually get some kind of token that represents your stake into uh, into that pool, in, into the liquidity pool, um, and therefore you can use that token for like, doing certain like other things. Um, and right now we're seeing in Solana people starting to build these like uh, kind of things on top of on top of that. So like you know being able to like do lending uh, where you use like the LP token as collateral, for example. Uh, and then just in terms of like generally what's happening in Solana, uh, I think right now we just see a lot of like the quantum core primitives that exist on Ethereum or like, other more like, robust chains uh, being built out, which makes sense. Uh, but kind of like what's more exciting is like seeing a lot of these like newer applications that kind of like aren't possible due to the throughput of Ethereum. Uh, like one that comes to mind is like this thing called a uh, crypto crypto kickers, I think. Okay. Um, which is uh, it's an NFT platform uh, that's built on top of this other protocol in Solana called Metaplex. Uh, and with crypto kickers, what they did is they actually made people uh, be able to like create like their own like shoes, like these like NFT sneakers. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean because of like the the kind of like low uh, transaction fees of Solana, they're actually able to like do all these things, like have all these like cool microtransactions. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely excited to see like more of these kind of like uh, unique things built into Solana. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
I should I should do a disclosure on here, I guess. I own like a really small amount of Solana. Um, you know, like I don't know, it's probably worth like a hundred dollars or something. I haven't even looked for a while. I bought a few a little while ago when I got became convinced that I was gonna need to mess around with this a little bit more to understand it. So I think I bought like eight. I don't even I don't even know what I have. Um but uh so I, I guess I should say that tiny, tiny holdings, not not very much in the way of bags, but I, I do have some so I can play with things later. Haven't looked at it for a while. But um but the th- when when I bought them, um, I will say, I had to do this funky ETH bridge, and it was a, a real headache to figure out. And then, like, I think the wallet that I used to buy it with at the time is no longer supported, but I think it's still okay. Like, I mean, I've got my private key, so I think I can still find it. But it just, it was, you know, I was somewhat early in. Have things gotten a little bit easier for folks to find their way over to Solana now, or is it still a, a little bit is it still a little bit wonky to get to? Uh, much, much, much easier now. Um, yeah, I, I do fully agree. It used to be a little funkier in the beginning, especially when there weren't necessarily a team kind of working on, on wallet options. But um, now on the wallet side, there's a, a team building a wallet called Phantom. Um, it's um, I, don't, I don't know if the identity of the founder is known. I, I won't, he's a very well-known person. Uh, actually, I, I met him through the kind of more traditional spec tech space. He's a really well-known product designer. Okay. Um, he, he's also been a kind of a big contributor within the um, Ethereum ecosystem as well. Um, they design, it's a really beautiful wallet called, uh, called Phantom. Um, works kind of on a browser extension on a mobile phone, and they're coming out with all this other stuff. Um, and then uh, FTX has also built um, their own uh, own wallet called Soleil, which they, uh, um, which they support. It's not as well-designed. It's a little bit more... I thought I think Soleil is what I used. I thought they sort of stopped doing it. Maybe I misunderstood, or maybe like I, maybe they stopped doing old Soleil, and that's what I. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, there's a there's an older version which is deprecated, and there's a oh, newer okay. one which is a little bit faster. Your your old key still works, so you don't lose any of the stuff that you bought. You just gotta Sweet. move over to the to the new. My hundred bucks are uh, safe. Sy- nice. All right. System or whatever, but um, yeah, I, I was gonna say on the application side, um, I guess a few of the things that make um. The, the kind of more architecture of a bunch of these things unique is so um, Solana itself at the bottom uh, uh, base layer protocol. This is where the ledger uh, sits, um, just like kind of, kind of any other blockchain itself. But um, because uh, all the scaling and throughput is in the first layer, you basically really don't need uh, layer two solutions. You don't have to worry about scaling solutions. You don't have to worry about any of this sort of complex other stuff. Everything's just built on a sort of single layer. So it's much simpler from a development perspective yeah chris you were you wrote this essay that i'll share in my feed under this um so folks can take a look but yeah you said a kind of interesting i i don't i feel like you said this shortly but it'd be interesting to unpack you were talking about how like ethereum not just the throughput but there's been some other stuff that's needed to be built on top of ethereum to make it kind of functional for applications and all of that is just kind of in Solana, like, you know, like in Fura and Alchemy, I know you mentioned those two. Like, could you unpack that, like, slightly more, like how sort of Solana sort of foresaw some needs that weren't quite foreseen in Ethereum? Yeah, um, and, and uh, um, yeah, D- Dylan, feel free to chime in if either I, I'm saying any of this wrong from an engineering perspective. But and from an engineering side, the uh, construction of this is far simpler because you only have one underlying ledger that you need to worry about and query against. And so all of the reconciliation and everything happens on a one um, queryable layer. And by the way, since this thing is very fast and high throughput, you can do all of it basically natively on chain. You don't you don't have to worry so much about what goes off chain, what goes on chain, what goes on layer two, what doesn't go on layer two. 
And, and so Anatoly's whole big thing is he, he's always been very, very negative on sharding <laughs> um, because sharding, you're essentially fractionalizing the chain itself. So you're fractionalizing all of the um, liquidity and all of these aren't going to move to a singular layer two solution. They're going to be fractionalized in kind of a different handful of pockets of all these. And so you as the developer, the user, um, it's just, it's a bit of a more complex experience because you always have to reconcile these down into, and you always have to make sure that you can natively go back out to the layer one um, chain itself. For Solana, for Solana, you don't, none of this really is necessary nor needs to exist. You just have a singular, um, basically ledger to write this all against. The, the, the other thing which makes this super unique is you have the, the, the layer of Serum itself. So Serum is a club. It's a central limit order book, um, which is built on top of Solana itself. Uh, the, the best way I think about it is it, it, it's almost like a network liquidity. So all of the uh, AM providers, the DEXs, the option makers, all the stuff, they all basically write into and pull out of Serum itself. So if you wanted to start a new AMM, you don't have to start completely from scratch and rewrite everything. You can basically pull all the orders from Serum itself and start with that as your basically base layer across all this. Yeah. And then you can add all your proprietary stuff or other things if you want to do it. But like, there's always something to fall back onto. Um, yeah. and, oh, go ahead. I just on just to unpack that super quickly just if anyone doesn't know but like yeah i mean the core i mean amms have gotten to be so much more complex than they were at the beginning but the core idea of an amm is just like you have these two assets in a pool and the price of each one is just the ratio of the two assets um and that's just sort of like the simple idea which which is awesome because you always have a price to buy things at the downside is you know with the central limit order book for example there can be someone who just sits there and says like hey if Bitcoin ever hits a thousand dollars, I'll buy a million of them, which like probably that order would never close, but it's nice to be able to write that order uh, if that's a thing you want to do. And maybe it does, you know, and that's sort of, you get those sort of flexibilities of the central limit order book, which we is, is a problem that hasn't really been solved on Ethereum. You could sort of argue, but you know, anyway, um, so it's cool that there is like a variety of levels of flexibility there. Um, so I want to, I want to open this up. I feel like it's time to do that, but I want to ask one last question that I would do a lightning round for each of you guys to answer. And I'm going to just sort of approve a few requests here as people want to come on. Um, so, uh, but I did a story today about like weird DeFi, you know, sort of mind bending applications on Ethereum. What's I just, each of you, let's just go, let's go Bartas, Dylan, Chris, um, give me one like weird kind of mind bending thing that exists on Solana. And it's okay if it's a thing that already exists elsewhere too, but it's just a thing that you particularly like, but what's kind of a head scratching thing uh, that Solana has got that you like. So yeah, Bartas, Dylan, uh, Chris, and then uh, we'll start going to the folks who have questions and other folks should, should uh, request now too. We'd, we'd love to have you. So, so my favorite one, um, so obviously Metaplex and like NFTs, but I don't want to necessarily talk about that uh, right now. The, my favorite one is Radium actually. Uh, so it's a variation on, uh, AMM, where they still have two assets, where you contribute as LP, uh, but then on the other side, they take those assets and don't deploy them on the math curve, but actually put them on Serum as orders and shift the curve within the uh, depth of book. So it's an AMM still, or am I completely not? Yeah, you can think of it as an AMM, but the orders are actually deployed and shifted. So it's actually... Uh, allowing you to implement uh, different curves across different pools, uh, and it's much closer to Uniswap, for example. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. 
Dylan. Yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about Metaplex then. Um, Metaplex is the NFT protocol on Solana. Um, kind of what they're doing that's different is that where you know you have these NFT marketplaces in Ethereum um, or, or other blockchains uh, where like they're kind of like constrained marketplaces. Metaplex starts taking more of like a, a WordPress or like a maybe Shopify approach um, where people create their own storefronts. Uh, and so yeah, it's been cool to see just like people creating their own kind of like things with inside this protocol. Um, yeah. So it's kind of an Etsy for NFTs. Uh, yeah, exactly. Though I'd say it's even more kind of like WordPress in the sense that it's self-hosted. So people are really creating their own websites that just kind of use the, the core infrastructure that Metaplex built. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that really speaks to like this core idea we were supposed to get with these distributed technologies is you could really have like a ton of flexibility. So, um, yeah, that's cool. Okay. So we have a few people who've joined us. Um, let's start with, um, Irvin Cardenas, um, Irvin, uh, say whatever you want. Just don't take too long, but we'd love to hear your question or comments either way. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Hey Brady. Hey, Bertosh, Chris and James. Yeah. So I think I got a question for Bertosh. Um, so with the current liquidity locked in on Ethereum, uh, do you think that we'll see more and more some of these protocols going uh, multi-chain and hopping up into Solana? Or do you think that there's uh, there's a room for some of these up-and-coming protocols in Solana to sort of beat uh, some of the, the high liquidity protocols on, on chains like Ethereum? Um, yeah, I think moving the liquidity across the chains and even L2s is kind of problematic. Um, it kind of goes back to the question, like the, the point that I was making at the very beginning, where I think there will be a lot of like traditional finance people trying to onboard into the blockchains. And uh, I believe this blockchain will be Solana. Strong, strong statement. Uh, Chris or Dylan, if either of you want to hop in there, that's that's cool, too. It's a, it's a big, heavy question. But no worries, if not. Um if not, oh, Chris, are you, are you coming on? No, I, I was going to say, since it was addressed to Bartosz, I did not fully hear the question. So sorry about that. Well, it was just, it was more like, would it be a good idea? Like, sh- is, is the smart entrepreneur one who should sort of copy an application across a few of these bi- layer ones? Or oh, is, yeah. is there going to be one um, big layer one winner, you know? I am. Um, l- 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 let me answer this slightly differently, I, I guess. Um, since uh, um, Solana is still new and the applications haven't really been formed and a lot of people are building stuff and there's a lot of excitement, people are doing the very natural and simple thing of just taking concepts that work and building them on Solana. So lending works Aave, let's do that on Solana. Uh, AMs um, work on Ethereum, let's do that on Solana and vice versa. It, it's a very... Um, like when Uber came out, everybody wanted to build the Uber for why? Yeah, right. Um, the Uber for dog sitting, Uber for food, Uber for everything. Totally. Yeah, very similar dynamic, and you, you see this a lot in the the tech space. Um, although usually, what comes after this kind of first stage, the the second one is usually the far more interesting one. Is what things can be built net new on top of Solana that is right. just literally not possible anywhere else? Right. Kind of some of the stuff that Dylan was uh, um, getting at. Um, because you can do all the um, uh, throughput basically on a base layer chain, what can you do? Um, w- w- one of the examples I was going to give of not a crazy problem, but a crazy solution, I, I guess, is uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with the Oracle problem yeah. of how do you pull this off-chain data on-chain to have a um, sort of referenceable data that, that you can reply- rely upon. 
And, and usually, typically, you always have to worry about this bridge because you can't move all the data on chain because it's too big. It's not enough throughput. And so you have to do all these weird bridges and, and, and um, summations of a lot of this stuff versus you, you have two projects in the um, Solana space. One, you have Pith Network, which was started by the, the jump trading folks. And the second one is more of a community-driven one called Switchboard. Um, both Oracle uh, Oracle solution problems, but instead of having this data be off-chain, you could just bridge it all on-chain. And you can give confidence indicators and you can pipe it directly into the applications themselves. Mm. Again, it's not a net crazy thing, like uh, something that didn't necessarily exist before, but it's a solution that um, is is kind of uniquely enabled by having the throughput directly on chain. I'm really glad you said that, Chris, because I have to be honest, like, uh, you know, I think Solana's cool. I think Nier's cool. I think, I don't know, whatever, whatever other layer one you want to name is cool. And they're all cool. I, I like everybody. But what I have seen a little bit in the last year, which I'm a little bit internally critical of, it's just like, you know, Bitcoin is gold. Um, Ethereum is smart contracts and like what has seemed to kind of work out recently on smart contracts is DeFi and NFTs. And what I see with all these other layer ones are just like, we can do DeFi and NFTs too, which is a little bit like, I don't know, guys, like maybe break new ground, um, which, you know, probably some will eventually, um, but we haven't exactly seen it yet. So I think you sort of did a good job of opening the door about how we we might see some of that soon, or maybe it's even already started. We just don't appreciate it yet. So, um, so that's really cool. We also had James Hancock who wanted to come on, uh, was sending me some thoughts and DMS that I, I couldn't fully parse while doing this. Um, what's up, James, join us. Hey, uh, I had a kind of a question and uh, like a comment and then a question. Great. And so starting like the context for it is gold has utility, but its values way over its utility. ETH has utility. You use you have to use it to pay the network, but arguably it has more value than its utility, however you want to argue why. There's a couple different ways you could put it, uh, but that's not kind of what I want to get into. I think we look at these new layer ones that are coming up and just assume that they'll, val- they'll accrue value over their utility, like the tokens themselves, because we've seen that with the, with the last iteration for Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering kind of thoughts on, because I, I can see if FTX is your only user, you have usage. So Solana being used makes sense. I think there's a good argument for that. Like, will Solana also get that above utility valuation um, and why or why not? Or how do you kind of see that playing out? Um. Yeah, I, I can take this on. Um, so for uh, for Solana, Sol, the native asset, is very um, similar in construction to other protocol tokens and the fact that you need um, Sol in order to issue transactions. So if you're a, a normal user or an application devel- builder or developer or participant in the ecosystem, you're going to have to hold and accrue some of the Sol. Um, and, and then similar to, I guess, uh, DeFi things in the other space, there's also a lot of um, liquidity rewards, pools, things you can do with it, which are effectively kind of token sinks in the network itself to allow you to accrue a bunch of these governance tokens and, and, and stuff like that. So I, I, would, I don't treat it as necessarily dissimilar or like a completely kind of new net thing from an asset perspective, but it's all sort of based on the uh, usage of the network itself. Um, h- however, I will say there's one criticism is... Uh, Given the fact that the fees are so low, uh, and you're literally paying you know, fractions of a cent on, on, on the here, it, it, I guess um, 
differently than other ones. Like you might not need to hold as much or like, you know, your dollar, eight dollars of, of, of sold Brady might, might, you know, cover a lot more transactions in this case than, you know, potentially other networks. Uh, I, I think for Solana and Raj and the team, the dream was always not just to stop where we are in transaction processing today, but again, if you can fit all this on the base layer itself, you should be able to natively build a lot more things on here, and the transaction throughput will be utilized to a much, much, much greater extent than anything else we've seen before. Again, a lot of this takes time. Like This stuff's not going to happen in the necessarily short to immediate term. But w w how I really look at, look at all this stuff is this is really the next generation of financial and compute infrastructure in which applications are being built upon. And the more and more usage of all those applications itself, the much more, much more value will accrue down to the actual computation value, a.k.a. the protocol tokens itself, will suck up because they need to be used by the system itself. And uh, just to add on to that, isn't there also another use for Sol is as staking, right? Like sort of the fundamental security of the whole system, right? You can delegate to a staker to a whatever they call the validators, right? Is that right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, in um, Solana, there is the um, concept of staking and validators that give all the security for the um, network itself. And I was going to try to pull the stats right now of the 497 million soul that is you know potentially available 338 of it is a sort of actively staked in the network itself oh wow so right. already like a fairly large portion is basically backing the security of the whole kind of chain and network kind of in totality and you know if i were building a post ethereum chain this just occurred to me off of james's question you know, a problem that I've had a few times, I mean, I don't do much with this stuff, but I do play around a little bit. A problem I've had a few times in Ethereum is I have some of some other random ass token, but I don't have any ETH, you know, for whatever reason, or I have like next to none. And so I can't do anything and I can't even trade the token that I have for ETH to do other things in ETH because you can't do that without ETH. It's a real cash 22. Is Does Solana have something built in natively that like sort of solves that problem where you can ish pay with some other token? and ultimately pay in Solana? So there's nothing native right now. There's a okay. few teams that are building on on top of Solana that will enable you that. Um, when you are building protocol on top of Solana, you can set actually some, someone else as a fee payer. Right. Uh, and this right. is what like Kin is doing, and right. a few other teams are trying to build on top of that. So you the could say, thing, if you had some token, you could say, for example, I will send you this token, you'll send me back some Sol, which is what I need, and you'll just keep a little bit of that token to pay for it, but you're going to pay that quote unquote gas. The so you know the, the computation fee, right? Is sort of the idea that you're saying. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Cool. The other thing to uh, kind of build on James's question is, Sol is also used for two other things. So the the voting that happens on the network is the validators actually pay for transactions as well when they vote on the consensus. Uh, which is kind of different from other blockchains. So the, the validator themselves, they need to hold decent you know, amount of salt to actually pay for voting uh, in the uh, in the consensus. Uh, and the other one is for storing data on Solana, you actually pay for that as well. Right. Uh, right. There's this concept of rent, uh, and this, there's like the strong separation between the state uh, on the blockchain and the transactions uh, for people that are more interested in terms of like coding on Solana. And James, I mean, you're a person, uh, you know, James is is a not uninformed person, has some serious experience with Ethereum. Um, 
I don't know if this, if any of those answers led to follow up questions for you, but it would be welcome for you to jump back in if there's additional clarity or other, other things you want to raise off, off of that. Go for it. Um, yeah, it's just the, it seems like a handful of things might, uh, might do more or be more valuable than their use cases. And I'm kind of waiting to see what settles into those buckets. And it kind of sounds like Solana might be one of those. And I didn't know about the, the, the needing protocols, needing tokens for staking. So I think some of that stuff actually makes it a lot more interesting too. Thanks. Cool. Great. Well, great, great question. Um, so we have one more, I think, here, and that's probably about the right person on time for us. Um, so, Parav, you have a question or comment? Uh, I just approved you. So, hey, what's, everybody. what's up? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, actually, it's uh, quite uh, morning in India. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, thank you for uh, maintaining the, like, you have started job board and uh, you have also made that uh, projects on Solana. So thank you for doing that. And uh, I think when, uh, according to James question, which uh, Bart was already answered. So like there are some, so this is a comment on Solana. So like there are some good initiatives or uh, good first time things on Solana, like programmable derived address, which has to be like publicized more because it is not there on Ethereum as per se, directly available out of the box. And there are, if you go to Ethereum to Solana, it is going to a change of terminology and how flow happens because you can do staking and uh, staking and having your liquidated token staked in the single transaction rather than two transactions that we happen in Ethereum. So that is going to save a lot of we are cheap, but yeah, it is going to save a lot. But uh, what I say, Solana ecosystem is still early. We are happy to be one of the early member of the Solana ecosystem. But yes, uh, it is still has to develop a more. And uh, I think people are also developing a protocol on more. There are some bugs here and there. Some things has to be improved. Ethereum is still improving. So yeah, uh, but yeah, over and over. Uh, over and above, it is one of the good blockchain option we have because we are developing game. And if for 50 bucks you have to pay 500 guests, then actually nobody is going to play with us. What yeah. kind of game? So what, what sort of game are you developing? Uh, it's a fantasy sports. Okay. Oh, okay. And, yep. And we are starting with the football. So we have Euro competition going on in our platform, in our Discord. Yeah. Football, soccer in uh in my world, yeah. right? Okay, cool, cool. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Great. Uh, are you guys seeing? Yeah, this is that's yeah, that's great. Thank you for that uh, for that comment. Are, is gaming is that are games, cool games happening on Solana already? Besides, obviously the you know uh, Parav's um, fantasy fantasy soccer league. Uh, yeah, yeah. Star Atlas. Sorry, someone is also so Star Atlas, and also there are going to be cool game there. Cool. Yeah, sorry, someone is seeing. Yeah. Bartosh, what is your favorite game on Solana that's coming up? Oh, you, you know, I, I was always excited about Sushi Warrior. When are you shipping that? Sushi Warrior? <laughs> please, please describe. <laughs> so, is this sushi? so my my team, we won the DeFi Hackathon back in March. Uh-huh. And, uh, we built this uh, this game called Sushi Warrior on Solana. And essentially, it's a, it's a no-loss cooking game on Solana. So it was leveraging uh, back then Aave. 
Okay. We did some uh, some cross chain stuff, but so, but Bartosz has been kicking me kicking me forward because we decided to switch and start building uh, an MMORPG on Solana. So it's kind of like RuneScape, but it leverages a lot of the the DeFi lending, uh, DeFi, and money market protocols on Solana, pretty much. So RuneScape plus DeFi mm-hmm. on Solana. Oof. All right, circle back with me on that. I have no idea what you just said, but it sounds cool. Um, okay, cool. Well, I feel like this has been a great um, conversation. Uh, thanks a ton. Um, to Chris McCann of um, Race Capital, um, Bartaj Lipinski, a dev at Solana, and Dylan Macklinow, whose name I'm probably screwing up again, at Sabre, um, who is an, an OG there from the early days of DeFi. Um, I definitely, this has given me some guidance to figure out how to dig into Solana a little bit more. And I think it's something that definitely, it's a space everyone should watch. I mean, there's a bunch of other base layers out there, but it does feel like um, some consensus is forming that, you know, Solana is a leader and, and is worth paying attention to. So uh, that should be interesting. Uh, for folks who haven't been on one of my spaces before, I try to I do these roughly every Tuesday and Thursday, but it doesn't always happen. But um, I'm really psyched about next Tuesday, the 22nd. I'm going to be talking to um, Lena Schwartz and Patrick Merck. Um, Lena is an academic. She wrote a great book called How Money Became Social. And Patrick Merck is an attorney um, in the sort of nonprofit world who's worked on similar things. We're going to be talking about scams, um, a perennial topic in crypto. Uh, Lane and I had a great private conversation about it a little while back, and I was like, we should do this in public. Uh, it's super fun. She's a really interesting person, and I think Patrick will add a lot to it, too. So if you want to talk about sort of that complex word in crypto, scams, uh, come back on June 22nd at 9 p.m. Thanks, everyone, for being here, and uh, thanks a ton for our conversation participants, and uh, hopefully I will see you all around Twitter. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks, Brady, for hosting. Yeah, peace. Thank you. Peace out. Thank you.